What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters, number 214. I might be talking a lot, but my mouth is broken for one more day. My name is Caleb Haig, <laughs> and with me, a man who is convinced people are sending us emails for answers instead of opening a book, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? Oh, How's it going, man? Uh, I didn't say that. Don't quote me. <laughs> so the loud, was, loud, it, mouth, it was, the loud mouth has a, uh, has has a broken a mouth. mouth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. We're going into uh, almost two weeks now. I've had a uh, broken tooth. I like the emails. Here's one thing, though, I notice is that we'll get emails from people. We might talk of one today uh, from people who are connected with Tor Resource, but they don't listen to the Robin Caleb show. Right. And so they'll like they'll ask a question. I'm like, oh, man, like you weren't around like a year and a half ago when we talked about that. So. So I still don't know how easy it is for a newcomer. Like we got one email said, uh, remember, Caleb, just the other day, someone we've never heard of. Yeah, I'm like binge listen, binge watching the Robin Caleb show. I'm into the third season, and I'm loving. Right. It. Okay. So I was telling my sister about that last night. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, because binge watching the Robin Caleb show. I'm like, well, we have, you know, if you just figure an hour a show over 200 hours, but of course there's more. Some shows are longer. Um, so that kind of made me laugh because you know I associate binge watching with like Netflix a season of someone's favorite. TV show or whatever on the internet. So, right. Uh, so that was interesting though, but it was great to hear from someone new. It's like, and I'm like, man, you know, there, the materials out there. Um, I don't know how searchable it is. You know, that's the thing. So any one show over the last five years can have such a, you know, touch on so many different points. Right. You know, and, and so it's hard to catalog and, and, know for sure when we talked about you know i love the emails we get i really do and we get a lot of emails um every day we get emails and uh, you know most of them are actually like personal questions or you know what would you do in this situation or you know asking about a theological topic that don't really get turned into show topics right there a lot of them you know um just come in and, and it's just kind of a one-on-one -on -one correspondence um the emails I, I really uh, don't understand, and I think this is kind of where you're coming from, is when someone will say something to the effect of like, um, you know, they'll, they'll know a Greek word like, um, you know, how many times is heortes used in the New Testament? Well, if you know the Greek word, you know, and they'll even spell it out like how many times is this? Well, if you know the Greek word. Then just plug it into a certain, you know, like into your blue letter Bible or so. You know? Okay, so yeah, there could be some basic skills that people haven't been like uh, realized that they could find. I, you know, another, someone another, emailed me the another, someone emailed me the other day, and they're like, "Well, I'm saving up because I want to buy a Talmud." First of all, I don't think this person should is uh, <laughs> should buy a Talmud. <laughs> but but the point is, I'm like, look, you can find it on someone. They have scanned all the, the right. Santino English translations for free online. You don't need to buy. An English translation of the Talmud, of the Babylonian Talmud, you know. So, um, there, getting on Google can be, hey, talk about Google. You know, I was, I had two filters. I had to change in my car. Boom, YouTube. Got, ordered them online. Got good deal on filters. Put them in. Where if I would have taken them down to the place, uh oh, Caleb's getting bombarded. No, Bomb no, no, no. Bombardier ants. I was just looking. Um, but you too, I mean, it, it said, this is how you do it. This is where it is in the car. Boom, 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 done. So 
use the internet as a tool. It's a great tool. I do like the, the, the emails we get. Please keep sending your emails. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of the time, it's, it, it is interesting how people don't listen to the show, though, but ask us questions. Like, why are you sending, like, why would you send me an email and not my, my, you know, someone who knows something more like my dad or, you know, Rob even, you know, like, why send me the email about a theological question if you're not listening to the show? Why, you know what I mean? Like, I, anyway, that's fine. I'm happy about it. That's great. Uh, I also do field a lot of my father's emails. That's one of my jobs here at Dora Resources to uh, field emails for my father. So. I'm like the gatekeeper. Actually, sometimes people get upset that, that he doesn't respond. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I might have sent it to him. Okay, let's get to it. Um, first of all, uh, where am I at? Oh, yes, here are my show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, here are we my lo- show but notes. We're thankful for the emails, and we're, we are thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to serve issue his flock. Right. I mean, that, well, that's, the, that's the bottom line. Not only that, but I, you know, we've said this many times and I'll say it again. One of the very, one of the most difficult things about producing this show is not, um, you know, the software that we have to use or, you know, getting the right mics or, um, lighting it correctly or anything like that. Uh, the hardest thing about this show is actually coming up with good content and the content that we actually use a lot of the time is coming um, from from our listeners and from the emails that we get. So we do appreciate the emails. And speaking of emails and all that kind of gr- um, our email address, chag at torresource.com. Keep sending them in. We love them. chag at torresource.com. Also, we love to get um, uh, comments from people on our comment line. You can call the Messiah Matters comment line at 253-465-3205. It's so official, isn't it? I mean, I can't believe we have our own comment line. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Okay, before we go on, we should, we need to thank some people real quick. First of all, we need to thank uh, Java Messianic Radio. Java Messianic Radio is a great source for Messianic m- music. Um, it's like it's like Pandora for Messianic music on steroids because basically, um, you know, I've never reached a skip limit, and I don't think he has one. In other words, I don't think that Java Messianic Radio, like on Pandora, if you skip like twenty songs in a row or whatever, or ten songs or whatever. They, they make it so you can't skip anymore. You have to listen to it or change stations. Right. Well, on Java, that's not how it is at all. It's like it's like on demand on steroids. So um, it, it's great. And not only that, but uh, he has uh, uh, Judah, who runs Java Messianic Radio, has now created a uh, an app so you can listen on the go for Windows, for iPhone, and for um, Android users of smartphones. Or you can just right here to messianicradio.com messianic radio that's where you can listen to Java messianic radio so after the robin caleb show oh well i guess it's not robin caleb show anymore is it after messiah matters rather after messiah matters jump on to Java messianic radio and listen to whatever you want to listen to and praise the lord a little bit all right and it uh messiah matters i still got uh, robin caleb in my in my head i've been I, we did it for three years it's hard to Hard to change afterwards. Okay. Messiah Matters, rather, is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is full of all sorts of great stuff. You know, I've been looking. Currently, one of my projects at Torah Resource is to compile a book, uh, a uh, spring festivals book. And it's all on um, Passover. It's all on um, Counting the Omer. And it's all on Shavuot. And uh, it's been a very interesting project because what I've been doing is uh, compiling all these articles from my father and uh, different parts of his books and whatnot, and then also compiling some of the articles that I've written and whatnot, and we're putting it all into one book. And I'm just realizing the wealth of, um, of information that we have that, uh, that goes into um, these, you know, these things, uh, and, and they're free. You know? I'm just compiling stuff that's all free on the internet on our website, TorahResource.com. So um, if you have anything that you're studying biblically, I would encourage you to go look and see if we have anything on it online on TorahResource.com. And finally, last but not least, uh, certainly not least, in fact, probably most important, uh, Messiah Matters is brought to you by our producers. Our producers are people who have decided to back us uh, and support this show monthly um, with as little as $5 a month. Um, and we do have several producers and new producers this this uh, week as well. We're very grateful for the people uh, who have decided to um, support this show monthly. You can also be a producer of this show 
Um, and you can do that for as little as $5 a month. That's right, for as little as the price of a latte, you can keep this show uh, reaching people all over the world. And it does. We, we just saw numbers a couple months ago. Um, thousands of people, each show is listened to and seen by thousands of people around the world, which is mind-blowing that's, to us. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. It's just crazy. But we are. We, it, it is because of our producers that we are able to continue on. Actually, I should say one more thing. This isn't really a plug, but we're moving to make uh, something very special for people who want to um, help produce specific shows financially. And um, I'm going to have more information on that hopefully soon. Uh, we're we're working re- Michael I shouldn't say we Michael's working really hard Michael's our our uh, web host and our graphic arts designer here at Tor Resource uh, he is working very hard to get the site our site is currently way too slow and he's working really hard to get it faster once that's done we're going to move to make uh, some fun fun ways to get um, limited products for Messiah Matters and uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really fun. So keep your eyes and ears open for that, everyone who is a avid listener of Messiah Matters. Okay. Hmm. With all of that said, sorry, it is my week to present a book in the buy it, borrow it, or beg it section of our show. However, we talked and we're going to punt. I'm going to punt this one over to Rob because he read an article that just got him livid. And this article is in your, uh, it's in your show notes. And it's uh, it's this is a book that is not out yet. It's coming out. Correct. Right. And it's by a very uh, well-known scholar. Is it Adele or? Uh, yeah, Adele uh, Reinhardt. Adele, yeah. Adele Reinhardt. She's a uh, she's predominantly a John scholar, right? A scholar in the Book of John. She has she has published a lot on the Gospel of John. She's a, a Jewish. Uh, I, I believe she's. I don't know if she, how religious. Jew she is, but she identifies as as a Jewish scholar specifically, but has spent a career uh, uh, studying and writing about and engaging with with the, a lot of Christian scholars even on the Gospel of John and how to understand it. And she's published uh, kind of in anticipation of her book that's coming out. Um, she calls this "Reflections on My Journey with John," a retrospective. And basically, she's kind of saying, I'm hanging up the, the cleats or whatever, you know, I'm done with John. It's my final uh, season, my coach. Last, <laughs> yeah, this is my last book. And this is, um, so the article is on ancientjewreview.com. So the book comes out this spring, I think, um, or this summer. The book will be called Cast Out of the Covenant, Jews and Anti-Judaism in the Gospel of John. Now it should be noted first and foremost that Fortress Press that neither of us have, have read this book. It's not out yet. Yeah, exactly. But uh, sometimes we will get uh, really advanced copies of things, uh, even from big publishers, because they want scholars to, to read them. I'm not a scholar. I'm not purport. I'm not. I'm not put, putting that t- title on myself. They get sent to the office here to my dad, or they'll get sent to Rob or something like that um, for a, you know for for review before they're actually published. This is not the case with this book keep going right yeah and um basically there's she basically sets forth why she's done with john um and so uh of course whenever we go to sbl we don't expect people to be dealing with texts hang on just a sec for those who for those who don't know SBL, Society of Biblical Literature. Yeah, yeah. So the Society of Biblical Literature is not a faith-based um, institution or right. society. Right. It is uh, the core aligning, you know, uh, factor of the society is that is study of biblical biblical literature. So uh, text from the scriptures itself, translations, um, midrashic things, uh, reception history, like how different groups used scriptural themes in later times, history of interpretation, um, all the way to ancient Near Eastern context, nuances of Hebrew language, nuances of Aramaic or Greek, right? All of this stuff. Second Temple period, Dead Sea Scrolls, archaeology. It's all under the giant tent, right? 
and and uh, to be engaged in that um, world, there's no one. Uh, it's consciously sidelining um, any kind of proselytism or uh, promotion of of a particular faith. So keep so going granted, here, though. Yeah. So granted, when when we read uh, 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 Doctor uh, Reinhardt's is you know writing from the perspective of of uh, that that SBL kind of consciousness, right? But um, but hang on just a sec before you go on, and and I don't know the answer to this. Is Doctor Reinhardt um, Hartz? There's a Z on the end, right? Reinhardt's mm-hmm. um, is is she a believer? Or is she just a uh, Bible scholar? Well, she she no, she rejects that. Uh, she doesn't believe the gospel. If that's what you mean, she self-identifies as as a Jew, even in this article. But whether she's a practicing, we don't, I don't know. I mean, that's um, because she seems to see, and this gets to the issue of of who is a Jew. And the reason I thought this would be interesting to 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 bring in this week is because last week we were talking about the Udayoi. Who are right. who are these the Jews? We received a couple emails along this. And we I think we noted last week that in the Gospel of John, Yeshua is called a, a Samaritan by Jews, Udayoi, and he's called uh, a Jew by a Samaritan, right? And so that was just one example of how uh, people were using could use this kind of identity marker, group identity flag or banner to rally around. Um, and it often had to do with territory, right? The Samaritans had a specific territory and a history that they told about their territory. And the same thing, people who lived in Judea, uh, you know, had an association with, with territory and a sense of peoplehood. Right. Um, what there are just a few things, uh, that stuck out on, in this article that she wrote is, um, well, first of all, it's the title that there's anti-Judaism in John. And I, I think that's, uh, it's sad because it, it sends the wrong signal that, well, it seems, all, the, it, it seems the word she... Judaism, there's no word Judaism in John. There's, right. uh, and so saying anti-Judaism tries to, it sounds as if there is something called this institution called Judaism, like anti-Catholicism in John. It might as well be like uh, John's gospel, you know, an anti-Catholicism, right? There is no Catholicism in John, so why am I going to have a title of a book that puts it as like an anti, uh, well, or anti-Buddhism? Well, what, 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 I, what I hear what I hear already, I'm in, and I haven't even read the entire article, um, but what I hear you saying is that well, from what you've said, it sounds to me like uh, that Dr. Reinhardt's is uh, is perhaps leaning more on either the liberal side of scholarship, and when I say liberal, I mean liberal towards the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament. In that John was written very late, and that Christianity had already become a bona fide. Um, no, she she puts it in the first century. She, well, here's let me just. There's a couple quotes I'll take. Here's one. It says. Uh, as my forthcoming book details, I am now convinced that John's well-documented anti-Judaism is not peripheral but central to the gospel's theology and rhetorical program. So she's convinced that John has a well-documented anti-Judaism. I read, I just absolutely, on scholarly grounds, I read, I, even, even as faith commitment aside, I absolutely reject that presupposition. Right. Um, and um, there is... Uh, let me see here. Oh, here's another point. Um, there is no doubt that they, that is the authors of John, because she said she doesn't know if it's one person or a group, that the, that John, the Gospel of John, intended to foster suspicion of, distancing from, and even hatred of the Udayoi. So it sounds I, to I me. It, so, I, so, so it sounds to me, and once again, I, my knowledge of this is extremely limited. Even not even what what Rob has read on this. It seems to me like uh, maybe she's maybe she's suggesting that uh, the Book of John was written by people coming out of 
or uh, forming Christianity that were anti-Jewish at the time and were writing the gospel in order to push against Judaism. Is that, well, am, am say, I correct in that? She'll say that even Jesus and the disciples, in this article she mentions this, Jesus and the disciples were ethnically, she'll use the word, they were ethnically Udayoi, but that they were, that, but they were um, created this idea of this group called the Udayoi um, as um, that didn't really exist, but that were function rhetorically as people you don't want to be like. Right. Right. And then she says, well, then later in history, you have groups that, that identify with that, that call themselves, you well, she calls herself a Jew. And so they're, they're, she's translating. She's saying, that's me. That's my group. When, in other words, when she reads the gospel of John and she sees this word, you she identifies with that group. And so she therefore rejects um, the gospel. Um, there, there was, uh, let's see here if I can find the, I'm just scrolling through here. Maybe, maybe um, one more quote and then we should move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the part the article or the paragraph starts, this approach to the gospel that, that, that towards the end of that, she says, uh, um, those who read this gospel, in a compliant way, that means if you you're, if you comply and and believe what is being read, risk absorbing its negative assessment of the Jews and all others who do not believe its claims about Jesus as Messiah and Son of God. So, in other words, she says the the gospel has a potential. This is my interpretation: a potential toxicity that's inherent in the actual text. So. So, in other words, the, the scriptures of the apostolic writings have a potentially toxic text in there and that it's dangerous to real Jews. And so what she says, um, as a scholar, I might be able to explain this arrogance as insecurity and his narrowness of vision as single-minded conviction. But as a Jew who is neither persuaded nor receptive to John's overall message, I am put off by his stance, even as I attempt to understand it. But yeah, so, well, but but so isn't that prophesied saying, though? <laughs> what's that? Isn't that prophesied though? The Jews won't believe, right? I mean, the Jew, the Jewish people as a whole, as a as a uh, a large group, won't believe. Their eyes will be uh, blinded and their ears stopped up. So I mean, it. She's, I. It's not surprising. Yeah. So so I'm I'm getting. I mean, I know you haven't read the book, but I'm getting from this that you're not going to be purchasing it. No, no. If she. She she says she likes the community of scholars that she's learned from over the years studying the Gospel of John. She said everything she pretty much thinks that she has to say about it. Um, but she has a, a, a growing discomfort with John's anti-Jewish language. Okay, so quote, so buy, growing buy, discomfort. Buy, so, buy, buy, borrow, or bag? I would say, yeah, don't... It, Borrow or bag. If you really want to get into the, if, but if you're going to even borrow it, you want to be critical of it because um, the issue of like it's like, is there anybody today reading um, Qumran literature and saying we are we are like them? Maybe maybe some of the Karaites actually can look at Qumran literature and say, oh, these are this is ancient Sadducees and this is our people, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is the Gospel of John confronts the, the, the soul of the reader or of the hearer with, with a, a very stark reality, sobering reality. So I, I, no, uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know what, you, what your opinion is, but I, from the very little that I've studied John, and, and I, I completely admit that it is very little that I've actually dove into anything in John, but from a cursory glance, what I seem to, what I see, uh, just on the on the surface, is a response to that. Basically, that the the gospel seems to be a response to Gnosticism. Um, it's possible. It's possible, particularly the letters, the epistles of John, maybe more right. so. Um, but he, here, here's a core piece. A core piece is, and this is not new. Uh, we have over the last hundred years, you know, more and more Jewish scholars who are not believers engaging in apostolic writings, whether it's one of the Gospels, uh, Epistles of Paul, the Book of Revelation, and then writing books like 
a Jewish view of this, right? A Jewish reading of, of Romans or, and, um, and those, you know, show like, well, someone who's coming from what they're mean to be saying is that I'm coming from outside the Christian faith tradition with a, some sort of Jewish education. And I'm going to try to understand and interpret this from a, from a, maybe a perspective that's different than Christians have thought. So there's, there's some value to that because it increases the conversation, the, the expands the horizons of the conversation. And we learn a, a lot in conversation. Um, but this, I, in my view, this article is a little bit overkill. It, it's promoting here, here's why I reject the gospel of John and I'm a Jew and this is an anti-Jewish book. And then you have someone like Fortress Press who's going to make money. I mean, they're ready to anything that's got Jew and Jesus and polemic between Christianity and Judaism in it are usually pretty decent sellers in the book market. So, so, anyway, so, um, maybe that's, maybe that's enough. Okay. To talk about. So, um, <laughs> Helen asks a question and I'm just looking something up here so that we can, uh, so I can see if this does what I want it to. Um, Helen asks this question. She says, um, she says, maybe do an actual show on how to use a concordance lexicon or BDB. First of all, um, I wouldn't know how to use a concordance at all. I, I don't use them, uh, at least not the book form. And, um, and the, the reason why is because we have computer programs that, uh, that do much better and quicker work than anything that you could do in a concordance. Um, even even um, websites, free websites like uh, blueletterbible.com um, is something that you can start to look into a little bit deeper. Um, some of the teachers at Torah Resource did uh, lectures on how to study the Bible last year at uh, our family camp. Those are uh, lectures that should be coming out probably at the end of the summer. And, and then uh, one of those, I know the one, one of them that I did uses, is it Blue Letter Bible? I, I demonstrated one of the software programs and ways that you can get uh, some good out of it, but also with, you know, I wanted to touch on some of the limitations. So right. and that so, might be helpful. Um, and uh, Helen says, many don't have reliable internet. Well, um, then save your money and get a good uh, Bible software that you can put onto your computer. Um, Lagos is a is a, a Bible software that has a robust library. Accordance Bible software, although expensive, these are. I mean, I'm not going to lie; they're expensive. But uh, although expensive, if you really want to do Bible, uh, you know, be in your Bible in this way, this is the way to do it. Um, in terms of lexicons and BDB. Um, basically what you would do in, in a good uh, Bible software is you'd find your English word that you want to look up and you would um, you would triple click on a word and it'll bring it up in your lexicon. Now, the problem with lexicons for people who don't know any of the original languages is that you're going to get a little bit lost in the weeds, but not not completely. You can see how the word is used um, in, you know, see, okay, I have this word. It says that it's, you know, used in this form this many times and in this form this many times. Well, you're not going to know what the different forms are if you don't know a little bit, even a cursory idea of the language itself. So just a very small amount of uh, knowledge when it comes to Hebrew or Greek will really uh, allow you to go very far with a lexicon and with uh, things like BDB and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's, it's really worth it to at least try to take I mean if you're really wanting to get into that uh, you into uh, word searches and um, to get into the Bible at that level at some point you need to take the screen off right you need to remove the screen and and one way to do that is to at least get a rudimentary knowledge of Hebrew language and Greek language she says uh, um, looking for how to teach our children using books uh, to do this. Well, to be honest with you, the best way to teach a child is for you to have the knowledge to be able to teach the child. And so the way to do that is to be able to study the Bible while yourself. My son asks questions that are very difficult questions at five years old. At four years old, he was asking me why Yeshua was praying to himself in the garden. Um, and so he's already, uh, he's already deep into 
um, trying to understand and, and formulate Trinitarian uh, uh, belief within his own mind. And we've had to go to the Bible and look at uh, different passages now that explain that. Well, the only reason I'm able to do that is because I've actually taken the time to study these things out um, in depth. And the only reason I, I've been able to do that is because I have, um, unfortunately, uh, I've uh, I've had to save a lot of money to be able to um, buy books and, and other things. Now, that's just the way it is. But in the end, uh, I've been very blessed to not have to spend nearly as much as other people would. The point is, is that uh, if you want a good, you know, I think that people certainly can study with a concordance and with, uh, you know, a couple of lexicons. I think that that is, if that's what you have, definitely use it. Um, I'm not putting those down. It's just, I don't, I, I don't have a very good knowledge of those because I don't use them the way that outside of a, a software. So my knowledge of how to use those are 100% within a software. And even on my, I mean, even on my phone, you know, I use, if I, if I need to look something up, I have my accordance software on my phone as well. So I can, I can, uh, you know, I'm quick on the draw with my, with my app. Um, but you know, I think it's very important for parents and grandparents to uh, have a, a solid understanding of the Bible to be able to take to their children and their grandchildren. I think that this is really where, um, you know, uh, when you can talk knowledgeably about the Bible with uh, your kids and grandkids, um, it will open the door for more conversation, which will open the door for more questions. And, uh, you know, really what we're, we need to be teaching people is how to ask good questions and discern, have good discernment on when an answer is not a good answer. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, let's move on. So we had a couple of emails and we've actually spent a lot of time in our, in our introduction. <laughs> this has all been introduction people. Okay. Um, so we got a couple of good questions. And uh, the first one is the the name of our show this week, which is uh, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith. This is the question. What does it mean, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith? Is it shall live eternally by, because of faith in Yeshua? Or is it shall live their life in faith demonstrated by fear of yod heh vav living out obedience to him and his commandments? I would mm -hmm. argue both statements are true, but what is meant to live by faith? Faith is... If faith in Yeshua demonstrated by obedience to him, obeying commandments, ultimately resulting in eternal life upon his return. Okay. Well, the phrase, uh, I'll, I'll start, I'll lay some groundwork for you, Rob, and then I'll, then I'll lob one over to you for, for you to hit it out of the park. The, uh, th this phrase is used in numerous, uh, passages within the scriptures. Habakkuk 2.4 is the first place that it's, uh, used, and, uh, we'll get back to that passage in just a few seconds. And then it's quoted by the Apostolic Scriptures by, well, by Paul twice and then in the book of Hebrews, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. In Habakkuk 2.4, we need to kind of get a little bit of context of what's going on. Um, the Chaldeans are coming, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, basically... Which is code for the, the Babylonians. This is the end of the Solomon's Temple. This is before the destruction of Solomon's Temple. Right. right. And... Um, <clears throat> Basically, there's there's no out, and Habakkuk makes this statement that the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm going to read a couple of uh, passages from my father's commentary on the book of Romans. Now, my father, interestingly, has done commentaries on the books of Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. You can find all of them on TorahResource.com to purchase there, um, and uh, they all deal with this passage, I believe. Um, so my father's commentary on Romans, uh, he says most of these, however, and he's talking about, um, most of the, uh, suggestions of what this, this means, the righteous shall live by faith. Most of these, however, seem to overlook the fact that Paul is obviously connecting what, what he see, says here to quote, which follows from Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous one by his faith will, will live a word for word translation. The use of the bet in be-emunato be by his faith is most probably to be understood as on the basis of, meaning then the righteous one will live on the basis of his faith. The life which uh, the just man has is a life which is based upon his faith. On the basis of the meaning of uh, emunah, 
Uh, it seems warranted that some translations, the NEB, the JPS, a margin of RSV and NRSV, have opted to translate Habakkuk 2.4 along the lines of, the righteous will live on the basis of his faithfulness. Indeed, in BDB's lexicon, Habakkuk 2.4b is translated as, a righteous man by his faithfulness, faithfulness liveth. Okay, it is only by faith, and th- now this is no longer my father, now this is my own thought. It is only by faith. This fa- is Caleb's commentary on the commentary. Right, that's right. Which we call a super commentary. <laughs> and it's a super, super commentary. <laughs> Probably yeah. not at all. Um, we are hmm. alive only in Christ. We, uh, those who are not alive in Christ are what? They're dead. They're dead in their trespasses. So the only way that you live is in faith, in faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And uh, for those who don't have faith in the the uh, Messiah Yeshua, they're zombies. They're the walking dead. Because they're dead and they don't even realize it. They're dead in their trespasses. Therefore, the righteous live by faith, by their faithfulness, uh, by uh, faith. Righteousness, yeah, righteousness itself is from faith. In right. other words, you can't, you can't, you don't start with righteousness by faith and then try to plant that righteousness somewhere outside of the faith. PJ, PJ says Caleb's Tacoma Talmud. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah, this is good, good, good stuff. So, so the point is, is that the only way that we're alive, what is going on here? Oh, I'm pressing command. That's why. Um, the only reason that we're alive, we're alive in Christ, right? We're alive through faith. But that's the only reason we're alive. And because of that, our faith brings forth works, right? Good, good fruit is what our faith brings forth. And this is the life that we live. The life that we live is by faithfulness unto God because we have faith and we have been made alive in Christ. Those who are not made alive in Christ are dead in their trespasses. And therefore, it is only by faith. It is only by the faith that we have in the Messiah, in the shed blood of the Messiah Yeshua that we are alive, that we live. Just as, you know, uh, in Habakkuk 2.4, it was only the, those who had faith that would continue to live. They were going to die. Everybody was going to die, right? Well, here, here, yeah, and there's another aspect to this, too, that we should point out, is that if Habakkuk's only three chapters. You can read it fairly quickly. Right. Um, it starts out, he knows that the Babylonians coming to destroy the temple, he knows that this is just. Right. That it needs to happen. Right. Because the court, because it says the, 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 uh, the courts are full of skewed of judges that are accepting bribes, right? They're not, they're not ruling according to God's will. Exactly. They're ruling, and so God's uh, uh, destruction of Jerusalem is just. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk knows that this is that this is according to God's righteous standard. So the idea is, what what do you do? What does the person do? He believes in God personally, but he's and he's surrounded with the people. He's part of the people of the promise, right? Uh, but what does he do when they, you know, for for the most part, have gone in rebellious in the way of rebellion? God's judgment's coming. So he's his, and this gets to the end of Habakkuk. So if you just go, it's it, and this was our haftar on the third uh, on the three year reading this last week. Uh, he ends the book. He says, "I heard my." I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sa- the sound of, at the sound, my lips quivered. In other words, this is of the armies coming. Decay entered my bones, and I are sorry. I'm reading the NASB, and my eyes are jumping. And in my place, I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. So he's he's basically saying, I know that this is all gone. But then what does he say? Though the fig tree should not blossom, and right. though there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, the fields produce no f- uh, food, etc., etc. right? He says, even the bleakest of events, he said, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. 
He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk in my high places. So he's talking about that's, that's the picture. The reality is God's wrath coming. But the person who has, lives by faith genuinely has life with God. And, and um, this, it, it's important when we think about the first century, well, or at least the end of the Second Temple period, because the Qumran group used Habakkuk as a way of understanding the Roman occupation. Right. So the Rome's, Rome, Rome coming in in the first century B.C. into the land of Israel was interpreted, and they called them the Kittim, the Kittim, which uh, are considered to be a code word for Roman occupation, and they're understanding the same thing. They're saying, what do we do? Well, and not only that, the Qumran group believed that the temple people were corrupt. So right. they believed yeah. in the same, they, so they identified with Habakkuk, the Qumran group did, the Yahad, in that you had a foreign invader that was probably seen as, as doing the will of God. Why? Because God's very people in Jerusalem have gone astray. And so they thought that they had the faith, and their, the way they interpreted faith was to be a follower of their teacher of righteousness, and to be a, to be a member of their community um, was the solution, right, to, that they thought. So they left, we're not going to be near Jerusalem, etc. That was in the first century B.C. Um, what we see here, and, and, and we see this same scripture, of course, as Caleb, as you just pointed out, used in the apostolic writings. Paul uses it in, in Galatians and in Romans, and it's in um, Hebrews. It's in Hebrews. It frames, it sets up for Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 is the, by faith, right? It, says, it goes to Abel and, and Enoch and Noah, and it goes through all the line of, of men who, and women who lived by faith. Not all, not exhaustive list, of course, but a, a a real meaty list from the Tanakh. But he sets it up in chapter ten with, um, if you go, if you willingly continue to sin, if you willingly sin, right after having knowledge of the truth, then there is no sacrifice for you, right? Because there's no there's no sacrifice in the Torah for for willful sin, right? That's that uh, um, it's inadvertent sin, and he goes on to to unpack that that God is bringing vengeance right God the wrath of God is is something to to have a uh, profound respect for that God is just and that he will repay God will judge his people he quotes this is I'm looking at Hebrews 10 but then he he comes back he says hold hold to your confidence hold to your faith and then he he quotes this passage from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. And then he says the same thing. Well, what do you do? Because in the epistle of Hebrews, the whole point is the temple is going to be destroyed pretty soon. If we put it, the Hebrews written right before the destruction of the temple, or if you put it after, it doesn't matter. The idea is right. that, the, that it's going the, away. It's eminent. Yeshua said it's gone away. Yeshua says not one stone is going to be on another. Right. And so the sense of like, how do we live? How do we live with in this world as God's people when his his the Mishkan or the temple is is wiped away? What do we do? And and so what he sets it up, he says faith. And it's the same. Abel, Enoch, Noah. You go all the way back. And all these people had held to the promises of God as the anchor of of who God is, and that He, He's faithful. He He was, He is, He will be. Right? He's always the same, faithful to His promises, and um, that that is true no matter what the historical situation. Right? It doesn't just like back to the end of Habakkuk. It doesn't matter if if the if there's no uh, figs on the you know, on, on the tree, etc. if there's no grapes on the vine, if, if all the flocks are dying, right? It, it, that type of outward catastrophe should not shake what genuine faith is. Right. Because he says, and, it doesn't matter. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. So now, do we say that Habakkuk had an understanding of, of all who Yeshua would be and everything? Probably not. But he knew that God was going to, God 
was going to fulfill his promise through the Abrahamic covenant, right? He and knew, that, yeah, and that God was going to deal with sin. Yeah, that he. So he knew that 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 the judgment of of the kingdom of Judah and the destruction of the temple was necessary, just like Yeshua's disciples. And initially, they thought, "Oh, how great this building!" You know, and Yeshua's like, "Look, it's it's gone. You need to learn to see it differently than the way you're seeing it, because you're seeing it with the eyes of men. You need to see it with the eyes of faith, and the eyes of faith see the sees the corruption and the values clash of those who hold God's word as the most precious thing versus the things that are being peddled out in the world that are appealing to the eye and and you know." Well, hang on, just, hang on just a sec, because Christy makes a great point on this. She says, who are the righteous and how did they become righteous? How did they become the righteous? Answer this and you know why they can live by faith. Yeah, gift. It, it's by God's grace. Right, totally exactly. by God's grace. It's a gift. <clears throat> right. It's God, it, has, it is absolutely God's gift. Uh, but here's why you know it's God's gift, because how... Who on earth of flesh and blood would be, like, just go to the end of Habakkuk. Okay, my city's being destroyed. All the people I grew up with are dying and, and you know. And if you don't have the gift of faith, you'd be out doing the same sinful behaviors. This right? a, I mean, you, this you actually, would be out doing, joining with everybody else. This, uh, actually, this actually ties into the next question. The same person asked another question. And the second question goes like this. What Old Testament scripture support, uh, scriptures support the idea that true faith in yod heh for Old Testament believers was linked to faith in the coming Messiah as a redeemer for the curse of the law? Okay, well, first of all, Habakkuk 2.4. <laughs> Habakkuk 2.4, but let's go before that. Um, Genesis 15.6, then he believed in the Lord. What did he believe in? The Abrahamic promise that in your seed, the seed of, of Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And uh, of course, this is linked obviously back to uh, to Genesis 3, the seed of the woman, right? Uh, will bruise the, the, or will crush the head of the serpent. Um, so... Uh, so the, these passages are linked together, but I think it's also important to remember God doesn't change. His holiness doesn't change. The way that uh, sin is dealt with cannot change from one time to another. It's always the same. In other words, God, you know, one of the things that I think uh, people might believe in the in some of the uh, aspects of the Christian church, not everyone, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement, but there are people in the Christian church who believe that in the Old Testament, people were saved by works, right? You go to the temple, you make your sacrifice, and this covers sins. And that in the New right. Testament, uh, Yeshua comes, and now you're saved by faith. If this is the case, then why would, if, if we could actually be saved by works, then why would Yeshua ever need to come? To make it easier? So you, you're going to tell me that the living God dethrones himself uh, and comes in the form of a man in order to be hung on a cross when uh, he didn't unnecessarily? No, of course not. The point is, is that uh, the way of salvation has always been the same, and the way of salvation is faith in, in Yeshua the Messiah. Now, just like like Rob said, Habakkuk might not have had a, a clear vision of, oh, it's going to be you know Yeshua, and this is exactly what he's going to do. He's going to hang on a cross, but certainly he knew that the Messiah was going to come, and that he and not only did he know that the Messiah was going to come, but he knew that the Messiah was going to deal with the serpent. That the that the uh, Messiah was going to come and deal with sin, and it was this faith that saved him. Yeah, yeah, that, it's. I mean, it's it's woven tightly in. You know, this week we're reading uh, in the thir- three year cycle. We start with Vetchanan, which is, and I pleaded right with the Lord. Right. Well, what is what does Moses plead? He wants to go into the land. And God's like, no, you're not going into the land. You're done, right? You're not going to, and don't ask me anymore about this. Okay? Right. So the greatest figure of the Torah, the greatest figure of the Torah is confronted with this, like, you're not going in, like a limit. And he, he pleads to try to say, I, let me cross over. Please let me cross over. Right. No. Okay, so the reader of the Torah is confronted with understanding that then. Well, why? If Moses is the greatest prophet in all Israel history, but he never, he didn't go into the promised land, then it forces you to go back and reassess in earlier in Deuteronomy when he says, a prophet will come from among you, right? Um, and that is understood to, in the, in the apostles, I think it's in the book of Acts, first, and maybe a few other places hinted, um, that this is, 
a prophecy of Yeshua, of the Messiah. Um, and that and that interpretation that the Deuteronomy 18 uh, passages uh, points to Messiah is in a larger uh, um in the Targum tradition as well, it's it's in a larger Jewish tradition. So that's not a that that um, Deuteronomy 18 was talking about a, a, mess, a Messiah figure to come that would have a greater power than Moses. Right, was not unique in the you know to first century believers in Yeshua. Um, so, but that's just another one facet. There's so many facets that that tie together. Um, we're coming up to the end of our time here, but uh, what I want to do is uh, there's one last thing that I want to touch on. This is just what, well, you know, we get these uh, comments and uh, I, I saw uh, Peter made a great comment. We're going to have to get to that probably next week. Uh, he asks how faith ties into Genesis 26, five. Um, I'll pull that up and, and we'll look at that next week. Um, so uh, we get, we get, there are some people who um, email us or comment uh, often, sometimes every week. And uh, these people are great. We, we love having regulars because they usually are well engaged in what we're talking about and also in what we're studying. Asher is one of them. And Asher is, is uh, he lives in Singapore. Man, this guy is just, I mean, he should be sitting in my chair because he's, he definitely knows his languages better than I do. And uh, he, his mind is just, he asks questions that are just fantastic. Um, and so he, he made a comment. It's not really even something I think that we would, we can only speculate on it, but he makes a very interesting observation. And this is going to be on Luke 4, 417. And this is when Yeshua gets up and he reads in the synagogue, right? He reads the Isaiah out of Isaiah in the synagogue. Uh, Asher writes this. He says, Luke 14 or 417 says that Yeshua read from the scroll of Isaiah. However, the text that he read contains the words and recovery of sight to the blind, which is found in the Septuagint but not in the Masoretic text or in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Do you think that Yeshua was reading the, a Hebrew text which contained those words? Or was he reading a Septuagint text? Or this could just be Luke using the Septuagint text simply because the audience would be familiar with it and not quoting exactly what Yeshua read. So there's multiple things that could be going on here, right? Luke, um, if obviously, uh, for those who don't know uh, this, Luke's Greek out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke's is by far the best um, and the cleanest, I would say. Um, and so maybe it is that Luke knows the Septuagint because he reads the Greek Septuagint more. And uh, so he knows what passage Yeshua reads, and maybe he quotes himself out of what he knows, which is the Septuagint. Or it could also be that Yeshua is reading a Greek translation because Greek was so much more prominent within the land than Hebrew at the time. What do you think, Rob? Um, I'd, it, I'd never recognized that before. I mean, I never knew what Asher pointed out. I'd never noticed it or uh, heard it pointed out. So... Um, I thought that was a, a really good uh, observation, and I'm sure if you look in commentaries, people will have some different uh, takes on that. I, I haven't looked at any commentaries, but um, I think it could be. Uh, so, what I mean to say is, I don't know the actual manuscript history of the Greek of Isaiah 61. Um, is right. it possible that Luke has the oldest Greek? You know, do, is, is our oldest manuscript evidence actually the, uh, from Luke rather than from Isaiah? In other words, do we have an Isaiah, a Greek Isaiah 61 that predates Luke? Um, could well, the, we, we, do, we do in the Septuagint. It's in the Septuagint. No, but, but I mean in, a manuscript, in an actual manuscript. In oh, other I words, what, we could ha what I mean by that is like has someone eliminated the possibility that someone changed the, a later scribe who's copying a Septuagint added it because Luke had it, right? In other words, that's why it's important to at least uh, spend a little time looking at the manuscript history. Um, and then we have more than one, uh, obviously we have more than one manuscript uh, of, of the Septuagint and different um, uh, translations. So, or, or people behind those, those Greek right, translations. Right. So anyway, um, so I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, I think the, the giving the sight to the blind is obviously a, a messianic 
theme that we that is not unique to this particular place. You know, he actually does it, and uh, that's not the only uh, thing he does. So we um, know we know that Yeshua at least uh, it's. It's pretty evident that Yeshua spoke uh, Greek as well as Aramaic and most likely Hebrew as well, right? But uh, I I am personally of the opinion. Now, this doesn't necessarily shed light on Luke 4.17 because the options are, you know, we just can't know. But uh, I am of the opinion, and the more I read about uh, Greco-Roman meal customs in the, in the first century and prior, the more I believe that Judaism the Judaisms of the first century were greatly influenced by, uh, by um, Greece and by Rome and by um, the, the Hellenistic culture around them. And uh, the idea that, uh, you know, I hear this a lot when talking about Aramaic primacy versus Greek primacy, the idea that, um, you know, that uh, the, the, Ju- the Judaisms and the Jewish people in that area didn't adopt Greek as a as maybe even their main language, I I I just don't think it can be argued. Um, I think that there was so much influence. Yeah, yeah the- this gets back to our yeah our arguments about different articles you know that we've looked at that uh, try to make it sound like Greek is bad you know in the uh, or Jew wouldn't speak Greek in the first yeah, century. Yeah. We just have we have all sorts of inscription uh, even late into the Byzantine era. You have bilingual um, mosaics, you know, with Greek and with with Hebrew or Greek and Aramaic. And we have in, inscriptions on like gravesite, gravestones, um, you know, th- that have Greek and Aramaic back oh, to Greek back. scrolls, at Greek, the Septuagint at uh, Qumran. Or even, and, and even Greek spelling of Hebrew words like Salom for Shalom. Right. Or uh, Amen spelled you know but it's spelled in greek letters so it really uh it we it doesn't help us to say oh you know greek language bad hebrew language good you know in the first century um it's and we know even from the later mishnah which is later of course but the rabbis initially are they, they don't have a problem with the Greek Torah scroll, right? They don't they don't have a problem with Greek being read in the synagogues. Right. It's not till much later in rabbinic history that the idea of Greek becomes bad. And why does it become bad? It becomes bad because you have a whole bunch of Greek Jewish communities that have basically believe in Yeshua. And so it's like we've got to distance them ourselves from them. And one way to do it is to draw a line on what language. Right. But it's funny because some of the but yet words like Sanhedrin and synagogue right. are just two words um, that are Greek words that still to this day are embedded at right. the core at the at the basic you know floor level of anything you think of as rabbinic Judaism, you know, even a tractate of the Mishnah is called Sanhedrin, you know, and there's all sorts. Of, it's a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word. Afikomen. You know. Yeah, Afikomen. Yeah, there you I mean, yeah, and there's there's <laughs> numerous of these examples. I think there's, you know, that one scholar counted over 3,000 Greek and Latin loan words used in rabbinic, classic rabbinic literature. Right. right. Um, and that's just because it's, it, we today have an advantage that we have these software programs. We come on the, the heels of, you know, 19th century scholars that discovered, you know, they deciphered ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, you know, um, Ugaritic, Akkadian, you know, the Babylonian languages. Right. Um, and then we have the, the study of Semitic languages. So you have, you know, Arabic now and Aramaic. And then you have the study of Greek and Latin. I mean, to levels where you have scholars that are trained and they have competency on both sides of that. And then they go back and are able to read the rabbinic literature, not from the viewpoint of a, a schoolboy going to yeshiva learning religion, you know, in an isolated, um, you know, insular environment, but rather someone who's looking at it, who's coming from this background and going, oh, these are look at it, look at all the Greek words in here, right, you know, right. Whereas on the insider, you know, the, the, the Talmud student in a traditional community doesn't learn those as Greek words. They yeah, learn it as, as this Hebrew is just words. a word. Right. Yeah. Right. Just, so right. Um, it's all over the last hundred years. 
with like Jastro's, you know, and that's online. You can get it. Jastro's dictionary, uh, Marcus Jastro, Jewish scholar who put together an amazing, uh, dictionary of, of rabbinic literature, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic terms. And, it, and he tries to say, yeah, this is a Greek word. This is a Latin word. Right. Um, now he was limited. I mean, it's amazing what he did a hundred years ago. Well, amazing. It, without it, computers, without, uh, you even, you even have uh, people today that we know, right? Dr. Noonan has done his dissertation on loan words into, uh, you know, di- different loan words in the, in the Tanakh. Is it the Tanakh or did he just do Daniel, the book of Daniel? No, he did. He did uh, the Tanakh. Yeah, it's unbelievable work. Anyway, okay, uh, this has been a good uh, conversation on faith. You know, we we uh, have uh, we already have uh, various topics that we might touch on next week. And uh, if you have something that you want us to talk about, we encourage you. Please uh, send us email toresource.com. That's chag at toresource.com, or you can call our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Yes. I have one more thing I got to say. Go for it. Ge- this is how we know ge- genuine faith perseveres. Right. Yes. What Habakkuk what Habakkuk describes at the end of chapter 3 is that you can do you, you throw anything at me and I'm going to rejoice in in the God of my salvation. Right. And that's a tall order. But someone who says, "Oh yeah, I read this argument against the Bible and I'm convinced and I don't believe it anymore." It's okay. That's that's those are the kind of people that Habakkuk was having problems with, right? <laughs> so, um, anyway, I just felt like it would be nice to to just underscore that. I don't know if we did enough. That's um, the point. That's the whole point, though. Chaldeans are coming. You're gonna die. That you're all gonna die. But how can I? And and I can genuinely. But the praise righteous, God in that situation. But how the, does that happen? But the it's, righteous it's, will live by faith. In other words, they'll continue on because of faith. That's the whole point of it. And we and hope they're not going to willingly sin. Yeah. Right. And we hope that uh, you also, everyone out there, is uh, living by faith as well. And that we have hope in the coming of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Um, happy counting of the Omer, everyone. And uh, happy soon to be Shavuot. Uh, guess what? Messiah matters. <laughs>